grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. We get a short account of a flyby preaching from St. John in our first lesson this morning in the book of Revelation. From chapter 14, we read, Then I saw another angel flying directly overhead with an eternal gospel to proclaim to all those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, language, people. And he said with a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come. And when I hear that, I must admit to myself, I prefer that other angels drive-by preaching. You know that one that hovered over Bethlehem who proclaimed, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Yeah, I kind of prefer that angelic gospel proclamation. But that one's specifically for another holiday celebration, isn't it? And today, with Reformation Sunday, we do officially kick off another festival season of the church year. At least for us Lutherans, judging by all the red I can see adorning the faithful this morning. Even if you don't happen to be wearing red today, it's not really what makes you faithful or righteous, as we shall see. But I'm excited for another reason today as well. Even on top of Reformation, we celebrate Confirmation. And if you're looking for the Conferman speeches this year, sorry, you don't get to hear them today, but they actually already gave them in Confirmation Part 1 way back in May. So just check out those well worthwhile uh, speeches that the Confermans did. Once again, I want to congratulate you on them. They're on Pentecost Sunday service online. That's all you have to do is go to our Pentecost Sunday service and you can listen to them. But for now, you're stuck with me this short time on Reformation Confirmation Sunday. Time indeed is short. We appreciate that fact, maybe a little more during this part of the year when the leaves turn brown and fall to the ground. We fall back next weekend and end our daylight savings time, even as darkness seems already anxious to fall a little sooner than later these days. Now for Pat Robertson of TV's 700 Club, indeed darkness is fast upon us. The end of all things is near, he cries. Just last Tuesday, maybe you heard, the 90-year-old evangelical personality made a number of provocative predictions, including President Trump winning re-election and then a period of horrible civil disobedience following on the heels of the election. While one need not be a Nostradamus to make such predictions, Interestingly, it's not civil unrest. It's not nuclear war that will destroy the Earth, says Robertson, but an asteroid from space. An asteroid that won't hit, though, until at least five years after the election, so beyond 2025. So maybe it's time to take out that bucket list and take that vacation you've been putting off. Of course, Pat Robertson has predicted the world's end before one time in 1982, and then again in 2007. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but to my knowledge, those predictions did not come true. But is this not, though, the message of the harbinger angel in Revelation 14? The hour of judgment of God has come. Let me ask you, 
since we're talking about predictions, what would you predict to happen first? The end of the world or your last breath? Either one is going to kill you as dead as the other. And since, as Hebrews 9 points out, it is appointed unto man once to die, and after this, the judgment, in neither scenario do we escape God's righteous judgment. How do we deal with that fear? Should we even try to shake it? I ask because this, this apocalyptic angel seems to be telling everybody, indeed, fear God. Verse 7, fear God and give him glory. Now, it's interesting to me, by way of contrast, how that Christmas angel hovering over Bethlehem calls out, fear not, in Luke's gospel. And this menacing angel in the final book of the New Testament trumpets, fear God. How do you reconcile these two? A frightening God of judgment and wrath versus the God of all comfort and joy. I think we can find the answer to this in Luther's story and the Reformation, believe it or not. Early Martin Luther, as you might recall, was dreadfully fearful of the spiritual realm, not just fairies, imps, and goblins that inhabited the medieval forest, but he was especially fearful of God himself. Once he was instructed to just love God, Martin, he replied, love God, I hate him. Luther saw God as wielding Thor's hammer, looking for any opportunity to strike with it upon any misbehavior on Luther's part. That's why, as the story goes, when lightning literally stuck, struck next to Luther on his long hike back to law school, he immediately dropped to his knees and cried, St. Anne, save me, and I'll become a monk. St. Anne, Jesus' grandmother, was also the patron saint of miners. No, not those less than 18 years of age, like copper miners, which Luther's father, Hans, was. So that would have been the mediator Luther knew and was most comfortable with growing up, St. Anne. Fast forward to 1529, when Luther writes his celebrated catechism, his small catechism that the confirmands studied for their confirmation. We read there this explanation to the first commandment. You remember this? You shall, fear, you shall have no other gods before me. What does this mean? We should fear, there's that fear again, love and trust in God above all things. Notice Luther does not give up on this biblical notion of fear, fearing God, which the scriptures prescribe as the beginning of all wisdom, right? But what Luther does is somewhere between that lightning storm of 1505 and writing the small catechism in 1529, he adds now to a healthy fear of God, both love and trust in God above all things. A major shift from the just sheer dread alone once reserved for God. So what happened to Luther that transformed his relationship with God from where God was once a terrifying enemy out to crush him and now has become this gracious God who is a friend like no other, indeed a loving heavenly father to whom his dear children make, may make their petitions with all boldness and confidence because as Luther himself would teach from the Psalms, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and he saves the contrite in spirit. 
in Psalm 34. What happened? And you can't just yada, yada, yada all your way from Luther's lightning storm to the small catechism in 1529. What major event took place in between those two? Well, I kind of gave it away by quoting the psalm. Luther had an encounter with God's word. He came into direct contact with the living, God-breathed, radioactive word of God, which contact, relates Luther, could be a rare experience even in the monasteries at that time. Specifically, it was God's word as gospel. He already knew the terrors of God's law as do we all intuitively, instinctively, because we know intuitively, if you, O Lord, kept a record of sins, who could stand? But Luther, for the first time now, encountered the gospel of grace alone, as laid out by St. Paul in the book of Romans. St. Paul, originally being another fear-mongering zealot who experienced his own lightning flash on his journey to persecute Christians whom he feared were poisoning God's chosen people, the hardworking Jews, with this gospel of grace, with the good news of Jesus Christ. It's this gospel of Jesus Christ that for Luther broke everything open at once and made all the difference, transforming all his fear of an angry God into reverence and respect and especially love and trust in the God of all comfort, peace, and joy, whom he would tenderly call his heavenly Father. Here's the verse from Romans 1 that Luther credits as for him, quote, opening the gates of paradise, unquote. St. Paul writes, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it, the gospel, is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it, the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed by faith from first to last. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. For Luther, that single verse vaporized God's hammer. It just vanished into the heavens. Not only was God not out to get him anymore, but God was out to give him a free gift of righteousness by faith. Faith. There's that trusting in God above all things again. And it was by faith alone, apart from works of the law, as our epistle lesson points out. This gospel that Luther discovered, or better, rediscovered, it's a rediscovery from Scripture alone. This beautiful gospel by grace alone, through faith alone. And now the only part St. Paul didn't address from the first chapter of Romans that Luther encountered, leading to his so-called evangelical breakthrough, was the part about Christ alone. Oh, Christ is mentioned there in Romans 1, as in, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, but I ask you, what is this gospel, this good news? And what exactly did Jesus the Christ do to load it up with so much saving power. It's like saying to the Christmas angel, what will this Christ the Lord do whom you announce? How will he save us? How will he bring joy to all the people? These details, St. Paul provides in our epistle lessons in, in Romans 3. 
Verse 35, God put forward his son, Jesus Christ, as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. And there it is. I finally get to use that 50-cent biblical word in a sermon, propitiation. I've been waiting all year for that word to come around in the lectionary. That could be our word of the day. Fine, you say, Pastor Mike, but what does it mean? Good Lutheran question. What does it mean? Propitiation means something that turns away God's wrath. Jesus was that something that, that someone who turned aside God's righteous anger that had been targeting the sinful race, our human race, since before the days of Noah and after. Now, some translations render that word propitiation a sacrifice of atonement, a sacrifice that covers over all our sins and satisfies the judgment of God. Animal sacrifices simply were not enough to do all this. They had to be constantly repeated over and over again for thousands of years. Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you take no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. That's the author of Hebrews quoting Psalm 40, and guess who he's talking about there? Animal sacrifices like credit cards couldn't actually pay off the debt owed to God for all our sins. They could not wash away our sins. But what can wash away my sin? We just sang it. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. This is all my righteousness. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And those two lines, you have the complete picture of the Reformation doctrine of justification, that chief article, Luther called it, by which the church stands or falls. Justification. First, Jesus washes away my sins. That is, he is the payment, the propitiation that turns away God's wrath against me. We just learned that word. Because Jesus took that blow from heaven's hammer for me in my place on the cross. Justice against the human race was served in the very human body of Christ, that same body we partake of today at the altar. On his cross, Jesus shed his precious and innocent blood once for all in order to pay off our debt of sin to God, that same blood that we partake of at the altar. From his cross, Christ cries out, it is finished, at the altar, we cry out for me. This death of Christ was and is for me. But that's only the wonderful first half of it. No time for halftime here. The second half is this is all my righteousness. You see, not only is all my debt of sin now canceled, but on top of that, there is more. All the riches of Christ's perfect righteousness become all my righteousness, credited to my account by faith. That means I don't work for it. I don't strive for it. I don't sweat or fret over it. I don't earn it in any way, shape, or form. I simply receive it, trusting it to be what God himself declares it to be. That is, for me, it is Christ my righteousness, as a free gift of grace. 
undeserved favor. Here's St. Paul on it. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and prophets do bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Now, brothers and sisters, this is nothing short of scandalous. Do you know how many religious people in the world out there are slaving away for an unattainable righteousness? This is the beautiful scandal of the gospel. Legalists, scribes, Pharisees need not apply because to those who do not believe, that is to all those who rather trust in their own righteousness, this gospel is a stumbling block. Christ, the cornerstone, becomes the rock of offense. But for all those who do put their trust in this gospel, whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. This is the gospel, the gospel of Christ that St. Paul declares he is not ashamed of. This is what powered Luther's breakthrough. Now, says Luther, I felt as though I had been reborn altogether. I had entered paradise. In the same moment, the face of the whole of Scripture became apparent to me. The Scriptures testify of me. Jesus tries to make the Pharisees see. That now clicked with Luther, all the sacrifices, the prophets, the Psalms in the Old Testament. They're all about Jesus. The Mosaic law was given to us to be a schoolmaster, to lead us to Christ, to show us our need for a Savior so that we would, we would learn not to trust in our own righteousness when our number comes up when we breathe our last breath, or when the end of the world takes place, whichever comes first. Jesus Christ turns away God's wrath and turns our fear alone into faith alone because Christ sets us free from our most dreaded fears. We are finally free for something else now. We are finally free for that something that's not focused on ourselves. We can finally truly serve our neighbor in Christ-like selfless love. And we can live out our lives before God with our conscience sprinkled clean and with sincere gratitude in our hearts. God grant it to be so more and more until he really does come again. In the meantime, happy Reformation Day. Amen. And now may the peace of God that passes all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.